Hey, men, it's good to be here. You're just going to have to give me a minute. I'm flooded with emotion right now. Uh, it's something to step back into this place uh, that we loved and still love and uh, considered to be, really in a lot of ways, we consider this just to be our home. So it's good to be with you tonight. Thank you, Pastor Brandon, for giving me this gracious uh, invitation and opportunity to be here. And um, my wife on the way up today, she looked at me and she said, well, my uh, seminar has closed out. What about yours? <laughs> so I said, honey, I, we all know that they want to come and see you, really, and not me. So anyway, but it's good to be here. Let me bring you greetings from Rick Burgess. Let me encourage you in uh, your small groups, if you've gone through that now a year, there's new um, literature that's out you need to get a hold of and get uh, signed back up and be a part of that and bring some other guys in with you. Uh, Rick Burgess is, if you wonder about him, he's as real a deal as you'll ever come across. Um, Rick loves the Lord, uh, takes a stand for Christ in a very difficult world uh, every single day. Um, and um, you are most fortunate to have a church that is uh, part of man church and you're doing that and I encourage you in it. Um, you know, I've just got so many thoughts, so many things I'd like to say, but I probably better get to what I'm going to do tonight. Several years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, Trey, uh, you all remember Trey or most of you do or some of you do, uh, was up at the house and we have 16 grandkids. Uh, Trey was there with his five, and um, we've got a lake in the backyard, and so uh, those boys are up early. I mean, they're up like 5, 5.30 in the morning. Well, I'm up that time studying every morning. I'm up usually about 4.30, and uh, those boys, I can hear them come down. The two oldest ones, they're coming down, and what they're going to do is they're going to look at Doc. We want to go fishing, and I'm going to say, guys, you can't go fishing right now. Doc's got to study. Your daddy is still in bed. Um, you can go get him up, or Doc will cut the TV on for you. So uh, they said, okay, we'll cut the TV on for us. And I said, well, what do you want to watch? And uh, they said, Minions. Well, I didn't know what Minions, I didn't know what Minions was. So I go in there, and I flip on, and I get to the kids' things, and I go through that, and they hop, that's it, that's it right there. Now, I, I put it on for them. I went back around uh, into the study, and I sat down, I could hear it, and what I heard, I could not believe. So I got up, and I walked back into the den, and I said, boys, let me, let me run that back. Let, I want, Doc wants to hear what they just said. Now, I want you to listen uh, to what is one of the most popular kids' movies out there. I'm going to give you just the first shot, and I want you to listen carefully to what they say. Minions. Minions have been on this planet far longer than we have. They go by many names. Dave, Carl, Paul, Mike. Oh, that one is Norbert. He's an idiot. They're all different, but they all share the same goals. To serve the most despicable master they could find. Making their master happy was the tribe's very reason for existence. Did you catch that? I, I couldn't believe that I heard it correctly. These minions search for the most despicable master they can find to follow. So I ran it back again so that I could listen to it yet one more time to be sure that I was correct in hearing what I heard they want to look for the most despicable master they could find in order to follow him. American culture today. We are looking for the most despicable, the most ungodly, the most reprehensible, the filthiest, the nastiest, the most blasphemous thing 
we in this Western civilization can follow, and we are running after that master as hard as we can. Did you catch what Norbit said? He pointed at him and said, boss, boss, this is my boss. This is my master. This is my God. Last night, I spoke to men from 15 years of age up to 70, probably over 70, on the issue of sexual addiction. Now, nobody's come to hear that tonight. Um, we, we thought we'd come here a nice little devotional. Well, tonight I'm going to be a little heavy, guys, because I've got something really on my heart about uh, the men of God, um, m- those who call themselves the men of God, and those who walk around the church of God, and yet we have let uh, sin run all kind of rampant through our lives. I want you to take your copy of God's Word tonight. That's what I preach out of. And I want you to look at Judges chapter 14. I'm going to take you to a story that you know, but you don't know. You, you know the story of Samson, but you really have never looked through the particulars. And that's what I want to do this evening. Is I want to walk you through that. How in the world does temptation get such a hold in our lives? How does it get such a grip on us? How does it work? What is it doing? And uh, how can I know how to avoid it? Well, I'm going to show you that in the life of a guy who, in my opinion, uh, was sexually addicted, and you know him as Samson. Now, I'm going to back up into the last two verses of uh, chapter 13. So if you're right there, chapter 14, let me just tell you a little bit about his birth. His birth almost mirrors that of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. An angel appears and pronounces that a woman is going to have a baby and that she is going to have a male child and that this male child is going to be used of God. In fact, the angel of the Lord tells the parents of Samson that he's going to be a Nazarite. Now, I won't get off into all of that, uh, but... Uh, he is to be a Nazarite from the womb all the way through his life. In other words, God has set him aside for a purpose. And so look with me now, beginning in verse 24 of, of chapter 13 of Judges. Then the woman gave birth to a son, and she named him Samson. And the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. Now, let me stop with that verb right there and the Lord blessed him, it literally means that God gifted him in an incredible way. In fact, when you stop and think about the gifting of Samson, nobody else in all of Scripture has this kind of gift. Nobody else in all of Scripture has this kind of ability. God gives him one of the most unique gifts that God ever gives a man in all of human history. So he is blessed of God. He is gifted of God. He's a man that has unbelievable potential, unbelievable possibilities, and unbelievable gift of God. Now look at the very next verse because you're going to come across another verb there. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. You see that little word stir right there? It means to nudge. We would say, we would translate it to nudge. Uh, the, the spirit begins to stir him, begins to push him, begins to nudge him, begins to give him direction. Now, here, God has given him this incredible gift, and now God's spirit is in him, and he's given him direction of which way he should go. Now, let me tell you something here. Anytime in the book of Judges you see that little word stir, that the Spirit of God stirred, or God stirred in the life of one of these uh, judges, in the very next passage, every single time, you will discover that they go immediately into battle, and God uses them to deliver his people Israel, except for this one time. He doesn't go into battle. At least he doesn't go into battle with the Philistines Uh, like the Lord had uh, designed him to do, he goes into a battle with a despicable master called lust. Now look at chapter 14, verse 1. 
Then Samson went down. Now let me just stop with that because the Holy Spirit really is setting you up with that. Then Samson went down, and if you look at that, you're going to discover that that's stated in verse 1. It's stated in verse 5, Samson went down. Then it's stated in verse 7, so he went down. Then it's stated in verse 10, look at the impact that he has on his family. Then his father went down. And then you come to verse 19, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon. Five times you are told, he goes down, he goes down, he goes down, he goes down, he goes down. There is a digression that is here, just like there is a digression in sexual sins. All you have to do is go and read the fifth chapter of Proverbs and, and uh, look at what Solomon said. And if anybody knew, Solomon should know. He writes all about it in the fifth chapter of Proverbs, and you see it right here. There is a digression that is going to take place in this young man's life. Samson went down to Timnah. Now, let me just stop with that because Timnah was right there on the border of Israel. If you go to a Bible map, you will find this around the place called Beth uh, or Bet Shemesh. Bet Shemesh was um, a large uh, city, and right next to it was this little town of Zorah, Z-O-R-A-H, Zorah, and that's where... Samson was born, and right across the border is the little Philistine town of Timnah. Now, it's very possible Samson was out. He's just wandering. He's just looking. He's just walking. He's just contemplating, and he ends up across the border over into the Philistine territory into a place called Timnah. Now, that's possible. I don't, I don't know how probable that is, but it's possible. He's there, and now look at the next thing that it says about him. And he saw a woman. You're going to read that again down in verse 2. I saw a woman. Now, just um, to let you know, the Hebrew there, and most all of the Old Testament scholars will tell you, it wasn't that he was just walking by. He looked up, glanced up, saw a woman, and moved on. This seeing implies a lusting in his heart. He wants her. He's lusting after her. Uh, nobody else is going to do. He comes down in verse 3, and his father says, and his mother says to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Uh, they come to him and say, listen, Samson, this is not for you, son. Uh, this is not at all God's will for God's people. Uh, this woman has not your faith. She's pagan. Uh, you are part of the circumcised. In other words, you are part of the covenant people. They are not part of the covenant people at all. That's not for you. She's not for you. Can't you find somebody in all of Israel that you can fall in love with? And the boy comes back. Now, watch it what he does. He comes back, but Samson said to his father, get her for me. Now he's rejecting his father's authority, and he's demanding his father do what he says. Do you, you know in Israel, under Levitical law, they could have taken him out and stoned him right then. Y'all okay? Hey, and I hadn't got to preaching yet. I'm just setting you up. I'm wanting you to look at this. Get her for me. I'm not interested in what you say. I don't want to hear what you've got to tell me. I don't want all that stuff about God and what he tells us we're supposed to do or not do. She, look at this, she looks good to me. You come down to verse 7, and he's going to say it again. So he went down and talked to the woman. She looked good to Samson. And so his father capitulates and goes down, and he gets the girl for his son, and the whole thing is just disastrous. It's just a mess. It all blows up, and it all blows apart. And the rest of chapter 14 and 15, what you've got is you've got this mad man 
who has been gifted by God with incredible strength and out of his frustration of sexuality, all he can do is think of just killing. Sexual addiction will do that. It creates an anger in life. It creates an anger out of the frustration that you can't get what you want exactly at that moment you want it. Now, time passes. And watch, his, watch what happens now, chapter 16. And this is where we're going to be. I'm going I'm to get through with the introduction in a minute, and I'm going to start to share with you. Now I'm going to get you to chapter 16 and watch now. Now Samson went to Gaza. Now you just don't walk across the border into Gaza. Uh, I've been down close to Gaza. I've not been in Gaza. Don't want to go into Gaza. I've been down close to Gaza. It is at uh, the bottom of the nation of Israel, and it is uh, right there on the border with Sinai. I've been all through the Sinai. And uh, it, is, um, it is a place that you just don't drift over into. It is a place that if you're going there, you have to be intentional. Intentionally, now, Samson didn't just slip over into the Philistine territory. He purposefully goes to one of the five great cities of the Philistines, Gaza. And he gets to Gaza, and look at what we read there. In Gaza, he saw a harlot there. He didn't see a woman. He saw a harlot. We're, we're given a little bit more information here. And the Bible says, immediately, because it comes right next, he went into her. That is, he went in and he had sexual relations with this prostitute from Gaza. Now, what you've got here is you've got an inc incredibly gifted man who all of God's work and gifting in his life now means nothing to him. And he sets this all aside, and he sets it aside because of this reason, uncontested sin in his life. Now, this is where I'm concerned about men today. He can't tell himself no. He can't say to himself, no, that's sin against God. It's sin against my family. I'll not be any part of that. I'll leave immediately. He can't do that. He can't leave immediately. He's walking into it on purpose. He's going intentionally into all of this, and uh, he's got this uncontested sin. Now listen to me. Uncontested sin in your life leads to disastrous decisions. Every decision that this guy's going to make is going to be absolutely disastrous. And you say, how is that? Why couldn't he see that? Because he's got this uncontested sin in his life. Now, I, I'm going to show you about three things, and under each thing, I'm going to have some multiple points. So, I feel like Charles Stanley tonight. I've got 36 points I want to share with you. Um, let me just begin with this. What you're going to find here is the implementation of temptation in a man's life. How does it get started? Where does it come from? How does this get a hold of me? Well, Delilah here is going to represent the sin, and uh, Samson is going to represent sexual addiction. If, if nothing else, he represents that. So just watch at how sin and temptation just get started in your life. And I'm going to pick it up down in verse 4 of chapter 16. Number one, she knows Samson. In other words, we underestimate how sin has knowledge of us. We don't ever think of sin having knowledge. 
That, that thought never enters our mind. Sin has knowledge? What do you mean by that? Well, let me give you a picture of it before I come back to this. Do you remember in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, when all the sons of God were gathered together and we're told, and Satan came in? Well, Satan comes into the midst of the gathering of all these angelic beings, and God sees him, and God says, hey, devil, where you been? Well, I've been to the earth. I've been walking to and fro in it, going up and down. And he says, well, have you noticed my man Job, who is blameless and upright and turns away from evil and fears me? And what does Satan say? Got his address. Know him. Watched him. Studied him. What you want to know about him, because I can tell you everything about him. Everything he's got, he's got because of you. And uh, everything he's got, you protect him on. So why doesn't he worship you? You don't think Satan hadn't got your address? You don't think he doesn't know who you are? Quite frankly, after reading Job's story, I don't want the Lord talking to the devil about me. She knows Samson. Uh, she has a knowledge of men like this. And after this, verse 4, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak whose name was Delilah. Now, do you see that right there? He wasn't in love. He was in heat. He wasn't in love. He was in lust. I remember at 15 years of age, now listen, not a one of y'all have to say this to my wife tomorrow, okay? But when I was 15 years old, I had a, I had a friend, and he had a girlfriend, and he, was, he had a car, and he was driving a car, and they came by and picked me up. One night, my mom and dad were having a little party at the house, and they picked me up, and in the back seat was a high school senior, uh, a, a pretty girl. And uh, by the time I got home that night, I'd had my first real kiss. That girl laid one on me, <laughs> right on the lips, as Andy would say. She kissed me that night. Now, that's all she did. She kissed me, but that's all it took. Because when I got home and got out of the car, I was determined. I, I had determined I was in love, and I was ready to get married. <laughs> Samson right here. Do you not think she knew that? Sure she did. Now I want you to watch how Satan has knowledge. Now watch their names because we're giving her, given her name specifically right here. His name is Shamshon. That is sunshine in Hebrew. It means the shining of the sun, the brightness of the sun. We would probably call him Sunny. Her name comes from a, an ancient Hebrew root, del-al. You know what that means? To extinguish. You get the picture? He's going down, 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 down. That's ended in disaster. Now he goes further into sin to Gaza, finds a prostitute there, goes in and has relations with her, and now you begin to see what's taking place here. She is going to extinguish him by the end of this chapter. I told you, you knew the story, but you didn't know the particulars, did you? We underestimate the knowledge that sin has. Number two, we underestimate how sin operates. It's pleasurable. Look at this in verse 5. For the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him. Now, the word entice means literally seduce. Seduce him, appeal to him, become alluring to him, lure him in, pull him in, entice him in, draw him in, make him fall in love with you. Uh, make him yours. That's what they're asking her, her to do to him, and so that's exactly what she's going to do. Listen, you need to understand something, and you need to understand this. Satan never shows up looking like hell and smelling like smoke. 
shows up looking good, really appealing, very enticing, very seductive. Satan's never going to come with horns and a pointed tail. Devil with a blue dress on. You entice him. We never understand how pleasurable sin can be. In fact, Scripture tells us that. It tells us that to save us that sin has pleasure, but what? For a season, men, just for a season. Number three, we underestimate how deceitful sin can be. Look at number three. They come and they say, we want you to entice him, seduce him, and see where his great strength lies and how we may, now watch these words, overpower him, bind him, afflict him. Now, that's exactly what they intended to do, and she was going to be a part of that. What they were wanting was this. They were wanting to take uh, Samson and mount him like a trophy buck in the den. I'll never forget when I first started Southwestern Seminary, um, John Bisogno preached the very first week we were there. He preached student revival. And uh, he made the statement, he said, I wrote my first day at seminary, I wrote down 23 young men that I met who were my age, that we became friends. He said, I wrote those down. And he said, now all these years later, I think it was like, you know, 50 years later for Bisogno, he said, there are three of us that are left in ministry. Three out of the 23. I think it was 23, 20-something. 20, 20 I want to tell you, I watch men all the time go down. Men that were my heroes, men that I still love and care for, men that meant a great deal to me. I've watched them go down, go down, go down. And in fact, I probably ought not to say this. I, I'll, I'll tell you, Adam Dooley, you know Adam? Adam Dooley called me after a very public pastor friend of all of us went down here some months ago, and he said, uh, Dr. Mack, he said, please don't, don't do anything stupid. I said, well, Adam, do you know something? Are you calling me out of the blue and saying, don't do, what, what, what precipitate? He said, you, you're the only guy left. <laughs> uh, we've watched one after the other, after the other, after the other. Let me tell you something. Lucifer would love to hang you up as a trophy in his lair. We underestimate. Uh, we underestimate him. We underestimate how deceitful he is. Number four, we underestimate how persistent sin is. Look at how persistent she is here. Watch this in verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where you get your great strength and how you may be bound to afflict you. At verse 10, she comes back and she says again, please now tell me how you may be bound. She comes in verse 13 and she says, tell me how you may be bound. She is persistent. She comes back again and again. He comes the first time, and do you know what he does? He begins to dabble with this. He begins to play a game with her. Oh, you got to get seven new fresh pieces of twine and tie me up with it. And then when that didn't work, oh, you got to get new rope that's never been used. Get something a little thicker and tie me up with it. And then he goes from that, and he gets, you know, mighty close to the source of his strength. She, he, he tells her, you've got to take my hair, and you've got to, you know, you've got to plait it into seven different, uh, different braids and, and wrap it all up in a net. He's getting really close here, and he's playing a game, and he thinks it's all funny, and it's fun and games with this prostitute that he's with. He never realizes because he underestimates her. He underestimates how patient she is. We underestimate how patient temptation is. Uh, we think, well, you know, it's... I defeated it one day. I overcame it one day. Let me, let me tell you, it's coming back. It's coming back. You say, now how do you know that? You ever heard of the Gospel of Luke? 
Because in Luke's gospel, Jesus goes out into the wilderness of temptation, is tempted of Satan, and the Bible says, and Satan left him until an opportune time. If he came back to Jesus to tempt him, you can be sure he's coming back to you. Persistent, she is. Over and over and over again. Look at this in verse 16. I'm showing it to you in the text. It came about when she pressed him daily. It was a daily thing. She urged him, verse 16 says. She urged him to the point that he was annoyed to death. So she was persistent. Y'all remember Michael Singletary? Played for Chicago. Y'all remember him? Michael Singletary played. He was, he was called the heart of the defense. That was back in the day when Chicago was just killing everybody. Michael Singletary, linebacker, he would wait. You know, not, not at the first jump, you know, not the first possession, not any of that. He'd wait a couple of plays, and then he would come out of nowhere, and he would slam that running back and lay him on his back. And every single game, Michael Singletary would look down at that running back, and he'd say this, I'm going to be right here all afternoon. <laughs> well, you know what? That's Satan. I'm going to be right here for the rest of your life. It's going to come back. Look at this. Number six, we underestimate how clever it is. Look at verse 17. So she told, so he told her all that was in his heart. He begins to open up. She keeps urging and pressing. She's clever. She's persistent. She's patient. And so now he's going to tell her. He's annoyed to death. I'm just going to let her know what it is. What can it hurt? It can't do anything. So he told her all that was in his heart. By the way, you know something just ran through my mind. If you go back and you look through chapter 14, you're going to find that he breaks every single vow of a Nazarite except one, cutting his hair. You didn't cut your facial hair, not your hair, not your eyebrows, not, not your beard, not what's growing out your ears or your nose. You didn't cut it. He just let it grow. And he broke every one of the other laws of a Nazarite, the vows of a Nazarite, except for this one. And I imagine in his mind he thought, I've touched dead things. Nothing has happened. I was into the vineyards of Eskol, there around grapes. He was not to touch a grape, much less drink wine. He couldn't even touch a grape. He couldn't even touch a raisin. But he's in the middle of a vineyard. Nothing happened then. We, you know, we build ourselves up to thinking, well, you know what? I got away with this, and I got away with that, and it, and it passed this time, and nothing happened. And so now he thinks, well, this isn't going to hurt either. So I'm just going to tell her all that's in my heart. And a razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak, and I'll be like any other man. Clever. Clever. Incredibly clever. Look at this back up in verse 16. Look back up at that, where she pressed him daily, she does that on a daily basis, urging him, and then go back up to verse 15. What is she urging him with? You have deceived me. Now, what is she doing trying to deceive him? But what does she cleverly say to him? You've deceived me. She turns the tables on him. And so now he tells her what it is that takes his strength. And the seventh thing is this. We underestimate the delight that Satan takes in our pain. Let me tell you something, guys. Satan just doesn't want to get you to sin. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to take everything you've got. He doesn't want you just to be destroyed, just your name to be drugged through the mouth. He wants to take your family away from you. He wants to see you without the wife that you have 
invested in and loved and given yourself to. He wants to see you without your children. He wants to see your wife and children without your covering over them. He wants everything you've got. You come down and look at this in verse 19. She made him sleep on her knees. And she called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. Then she said to the Philistines, uh, then she said the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He woke up from his sleep and said, I'll go out as at other times, shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. She sits there and she afflicts him. Do you see that at the end of verse 19? She afflicts him. It means to ridicule, to mock, to laugh at, to make fun of, to belittle in every way that she could. Do you remember what God told Cain back in the third chapter of Genesis? Back in uh, the fourth chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. He says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. You don't have to wonder and speculate where Satan is tonight. Let me tell you something. He's curled up in the floorboard of your car waiting for you to get back in it. He's sitting by the recliner where you sit every night. He's curled up next to the remote control. He is stretched out beside the computer. Now, that's all introduction. Let me preach the passage now. Well, let me give you the second thing, and the second thing is this. I want you to look at the ramifications of yielding to temptation. Now, those are the seven things. I gave you seven things there of how Satan gets into your life. Let me show you now the ramification if you yield to it. Number one, the first thing is back up in verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength is. The first thing is this, sin makes you stupid. I, I'm going to tell you, I could bring one of my six-year-old grandsons up here and let him read that, and he would tell you, oh, I think I know where she's going with this. It's not hard. This isn't rocket science right here. Please tell me where your great strength is. You would think that Samson would sit up, bolt straight, and look at her and say, I'm out of here for good. But he doesn't do it. I don't know how it happens, but some way sin creates this split in your thinking, in your mind. There is this schizophrenic, spiritual schizophrenia in a, a, a man's mind when he begins to sin to where he can't think straight. You don't make good judgments. Your judgments are off. And I'm not just talking about moral. I'm talking about in business, with your finances, with your household uh, things that uh, you take care of, with the things that you take care of at work. You can't think straight any longer when sin is running unrestrained through your life. So it will do that. It will just simply make you stupid. Number two, it gives you a sense of false security. Did you see that in verse 19? He tells her now where his strength is, and what does he do? He gets down on his knees, puts his head on her knees in his lap, and he goes to sleep. That sounds like a little baby boy. That sounds like he has all the sense of security that you can possibly imagine. He thinks he's safe. We, we, we come to the place where sin will just absolutely build up a false security, but then it'll also build up a false confidence. Did you see that down in verse 20? She hollers, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He woke up from his sleep and said, I'll go out as at other times. I'll shake myself free. I, it, it doesn't matter. What God said about this, it really doesn't work. It's not true. 
I've gotten out of everything else in my life. I'll get out of this as well. There is a false confidence that sin will put in you. Oh, I can handle this. Oh, I can juggle this. I've got it covered. Nobody knows what's going on. I've got my hands around it. Well, that's the problem right there. You got your hands around it. And what you've got is you've got a sense of false security. And round and round you go. Round and round the mulberry bush. The monkey chased the weasel. The weasel thought it was all in fun. Goes the weasel. And number four, you die to spiritual sensitivity. Here is the saddest verse of all. It says, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Now, I love the way the King James puts it. It says it like this. He wist not that the Spirit had departed. He did not know. Couldn't sense it. Now, that scares me. That terrifies me to think that I could so sear my conscience that the Spirit could leave, God could take his hand off my life, and I would never even realize it or care. Let me give you the last thing very quickly, and it's this. I want you to understand something. God can vindicate fallen men. And he's going to do that because here comes the vindication of God's plan through Samson. It's sorry that it has to go this far, but it does. Look at what happens in verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, to rejoice. Why are they rejoicing? Because they've captured the judge of Israel. They've captured this uniquely gifted man of God. Whenever we sin and the world finds out about it, it gives them cause to rejoice. Not only did they rejoice, verse 24 says, they come to praise their God. They think literally their God overpowered the God of Samson. Man, I never want to give the world an opportunity to think something like that. Verse 25, it happened when they were in high spirits. Listen, man, they're in high spirits. That they said, call for Samson that he may amuse. We want some amusement. Bring us. And, and look, so they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them. How did he entertain them? He entertained them by just stumbling around in his chains and uh, in, 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 in his blindness, he entertained. They thought it was hilarious. Now, this guy has been blinded. He's locked in chains, and he's put in bonds on his feet. He's never going to walk into another city just like he used to again. He's never going to grab a woman again. He's in chains now. He's never going to look and see another woman. He's never going to look on another woman and lust after her. His eyes are gone. And that's what entertains him. His bondage. How pitiful he is now. They are entertained by that. But now I've got to show you something here. I wish, I wish I had somebody at the organ just go, dun, 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 dun. Now watch, watch. Did you see verse 22? However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. How fast after they shaved it off did his hair begin to grow? Immediately. Immediately. Let me just tell you something, guys. God's plan will never, ever be thwarted. Amen. Ever. Ever. 
His hair begins to grow. Now watch this in verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord, O Lord God. Do you realize this is the first time he prays in his life? He called one other time, but it was a mockery to God. Here he's praying for the first time. He begins to pray, O Lord God. That literally is O Adonai Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me. Humility's got him now. This man now has been humbled. It's sad that it takes all that he's had to go through to humble him, but I can tell you one thing, God knows how to humble a man when God gets ready to do it. Y'all like me to give you a testimony? I could. He'll humble you. So he humbles him, and he cries out, please remember me, please strengthen me just this time, just this one time. Oh, Lord, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, what he's done is this. He called the boy over, verse 26. The boy who was holding his hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. And so the boy takes him over, and he reaches out, and he feels the pillar with one hand, and he feels the pillar with the other. And Samson grasps, verse 29, the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And he says this, let me die. He says, I'm willing now to be a sacrifice. God, you gifted me unusually. You gave me life. You've blessed me with an unusual gift. And I have literally wasted my life. And he puts that look like anything to you? And for one brief shining moment, he shows us a picture of Christ. Now, let me tell you, if y'all were Pentecostals, y'all would be running around this room. And there... He does what God called him to do. He gives his life for his people in self-sacrifice. But what a way to do it. Just stand with me if you would and bow your heads. Now, men, let me tell you something. We all struggle in this area. All of us do. And it really doesn't matter the age. We never get beyond this. And it is the one thing that has taken more men out of ministry and more men out of the church and more men out of the home and the family than anything else. More than money, more than gambling, more than liquor, more than anything else. We need to know the ways of our enemy. We don't need to underestimate like Samson did and end up I wonder if tonight you'd want to come and just get on your knees with me here at the altar. You just come and pray for your life. Pray for the life of your children. Pray for the life, many of you men here like me, for the life of your grandchildren, 
I'm taking two of my grandsons out once a week now just simply to pour into them these things that I've shared with you. Would you come? Let's just gather and kneel here at God's altar. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray like our families depend on it. Let's pray like our marriage depends on it. Let's pray tonight like our church depends on us. Father, what a blessing. In all your goodness, Lord, to bring me back and allow me the opportunity to share my heart with many of these men who sat as deacons and teachers and leaders in this church when you gave me the blessed privilege to pastor here. I remember them. I remember their children. And now they have grandchildren. Oh, Father, I pray for our sons and our daughters, our grandsons and our granddaughters, and the world in which they grow up in, when all of our leaders seem to point to everything that is abnormal. Lord, we live in a day that I'm fearful and I believe, just as your word said, that if you don't cut these days short, even the elect will be deceived. We don't want to be deceived, elect. Oh, Father, help us. Help us to be the men that you desire us to be. Lord, help us and help these young men, Father, I pray, not to have to go through all of the dirt and the sin and all of that in order to feel like they're some kind of a man. Father, help us as older men explain to them that a man knows how to tell himself no and how to say yes to God and how to love his family and how to work a job and do it with excellence. God bless these people. I so love this church. Bless it. Pour yourself out on this church. Lord, I pray it above every other church around here. I love them too, but Lord, I love this church most. Bless this church. Bless its pastor. Bless its staff. Bless every song they sing. Bless every time they gather, Wednesday and Sunday and in between. And may these men, Father, be the blessing that you bless this church with. They'll be seen as men of God. For we pray it in Jesus' name.